uh, fresh, alive, awake faces. And uh, several people that I don't recognize, you're here for the very first time. You're, this is your first visit here. Welcome to the gathering. We'll, we're still learning how to be a warm and welcoming church, but we sure hope that you feel welcome here on your very first visit here at the gathering. And as Pastor Phil uh, mentioned earlier, I want to just uh, reinforce, if you are visiting with us for the first time today, please stop at the desk uh, in the lobby after the service. Uh, we've got a small gift that we'd like to place in your hands and just say thank you again for coming to the gathering. Last week, my wife and I were in New Orleans on a week of vacation, and among other things that took place there, my wife had a bad fall on one of the many, many, many many, many, many broken sidewalks in New Orleans and broke her hand. She fell uh, her full body weight on, on both of her hands, one of them broken quite badly. So she's all patched up and uh, I get to do everything at home. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? I get to do everything at home. She serves our family so faithfully and so deeply and so broadly and uh, now I get to pick up all that stuff. And it's a real joy. <laughs> David Prince tells the story of a family who, who adopted an older child from an unspeakably horrific orphanage in another country. When they brought her home, one of the things they told her was that it was going to be her responsibility to look after her own room, to, to, to clean up her own bedroom. And so when she heard about that responsibility along with others, for some reason she really fixated on that one. I mean, she, she was determined to keep her room clean. And I mean spotless. She cleaned it every night. Every square inch of her room she cleaned every night, and it was immaculate. And every morning her parents would come by her room, and uh, she would sit on the bed and say, My room is clean. Can I stay? Do you still love me? And her parents' hearts were broken. She had lived, in, had lived in such horrific conditions. She thought she had to earn her love. It took a long time for them to convince this young lady that there's nothing she could do to make them love her more than they already love her. But eventually, this girl's life began to change with that message of unconditional love. Her, her thinking began to change. Her behavior began to change. Her feelings began to change. Her life was changed by love. She didn't have to earn her place in the family. She didn't have to work for their love. She did not have to prove her worth. She was completely, totally transformed by love. Acts chapter 16 contains three powerful stories of transformation, just like the one I told you. The love of Jesus Christ changes us, friends. It changes us from the inside out. And if the love of God can change us, it can change anybody. So please turn to Acts chapter 16 this morning. Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. If you know where the New Testament starts, you find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Jesus books, and then you find the book of Acts. If you get to Romans or 1 Corinthians or others, you're too far to the right. You need to back up a little bit to the left to Acts 
chapter 16, verse 11. And as you can see from the text, the action takes place in the city of Philippi, which is a, a, a leading city in the district of Macedonia. It was a, a cosmopolitan, metropolitan trading center, the city of Philippi. Hey, it's the perfect place to plant a church. People from all over the place are crisscrossing in this city. It's a perfect place to plant a church. And finding no synagogue in Philippi, the text tells us that Paul walks down to the river outside the city gates and he begins talking to a group of women who were gathered there. And this is right where the very first story of transformation takes place, where Jesus transforms a wealthy woman. I'm reading now from Acts 16, verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So Lydia was a a seller of purple, which makes absolute sense because Thyatira was the center of the purple dye trade. So she's a seller of purple. She was almost certainly a wealthy businesswoman, an entrepreneur, a real smart cookie, and uh, she took these purple goods, which were expensive, by the way, purple goods, which were always associated with royalty, and the business was profitable. She was rolling in the dough, we might say. She also hosted people in her home, which in that day and age was an indicator that, uh, of wealth, because the home was large enough to entertain overnight guests. So in other words, Lydia was a woman of means. She was an entrepreneur, a a business woman who was making good money. She probably enjoyed the finer things of life. Good restaurants, good food, nice hotels. She didn't fly coach when she flew Air Canada or Transat. Better yet, she flew first class. Luke tells us in verse 14 that the Lord opened her heart. So even though she had all of this outward success, she had professional success, she had a large house, she had a thriving business, she was making money hand over fist, there was something missing. She was looking for something more, something else, something different. Why else would she go to the place of prayer down by the river? There was something missing in her life. And verse 14 tells us that the Lord opened her heart. What does that mean? Well, it means that the sovereign God of grace first had to quicken her dead heart so that she could repent of her sins and put her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Before she could embrace Jesus by faith, the Lord had to open her heart. Because Ephesians chapter 2 tells us in no uncertain terms that we are dead, dead, dead in our transgressions and sins. And dead people can't open their hearts. Dead people can't decide for Jesus. Dead people can't make any choices. They're dead. Spiritually dead. And so the Lord had to open her heart. 
It means that the sovereign God of grace gave her the ability to open her ears and open her heart to the things of God. And this wealthy woman was born again. And then she gets baptized upon the confession of her faith. Baptism is a declaration that we belong to Jesus. We love to say that around the gathering. Baptism is a declaration that we belong to Jesus. So we know that she trusted in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, Paul never would have baptized her. Upon the confession of her faith, the repentance of her sins, and her trust in Jesus Christ, she was baptized. And there's no doubt that the Lord had opened Lydia's heart, and now she belonged to him. So Jesus transforms the life of this wealthy businesswoman, and the ripple effect can be felt all over Philippi. You know, I got thinking last night, I, as I thought about what, what's to come in the book of Acts, I, I have read ahead. And... We're going to meet all kinds of very significant, prominent women who play a a very significant role in the overflow and outflow of the gospel. Uh, We'll meet, um, see I jotted it down here, the women of of high standing in Berea. We'll meet uh, leading women of Thessalonica. We'll meet uh, Demarius in Athens and we'll meet Priscilla in Corinth. So all throughout the book of Acts, Women play a significant and strategic role in the ministry of, uh, of discipleship and, and evangelism and the formation of, of new churches. But, but, but not until their hearts are opened by the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that, that's got to be the very first thing that takes place. God has to open their heart. They need to respond in faith and become the women that God wants them to be. And that's exactly what happened to Lydia. And then we move to the second story, which begins in verse 16, where Jesus transforms a slave girl. Verse 16, Acts 16, 16 says, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed. (laughs) I love that. I love the honesty of Scripture. I mean, he's just ticked off. Okay? Shut up already. Enough is enough. He becomes greatly annoyed. Not just annoyed, but greatly annoyed. Turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So, So Luke... Luke highlights this bizarre encounter with a young girl who's tormented by an unclean spirit, a spirit of divination, according to verse 16. And you know the contrast between the slave girl and the seller of purple could not be greater. This girl, this slave girl, predicted the future by the power of the spirit of divination. In other words, she's, she's uh, demonically possessed. She's possessed by a demon, a spirit. She's demon-possessed, and she's a slave girl. And she keeps crying out, These men are servants of God, as she followed them. Which is true, of course. They, they were servants of God. The problem is, Satan was attempting to associate with this team of missionaries and using this demonic a slave girl as a spokesperson. But Paul was on to it. 
Paul becomes greatly annoyed and commands that the demonic spirit comes out of her and it comes out. So don't miss the fact that this poor slave girl is in double bondage. Her, her slave owners treat her like property and, and she's abused by this demonic spirit. Poor thing. I mean, she just, she, she, she's got a desperate experience, a desperate livelihood. But, but, but suddenly... Suddenly, she has a new owner, the good shepherd, the friend of sinners, Jesus Christ, the Lord. He's the one who sets her free. We, we sang about that wonderfully in our worship service. He sets us free. And, and, and the one who set her free from spiritual and physical bondage is Jesus. But these two conversions could not be further apart. Lydia is wealthy. The slave girl is poor. Lydia is a high-standing member of society. This slave girl was exploited and abused and had absolutely no rights. Lydia is religious and moral. The slave girl is broken and tormented. Lydia comes to faith through a quiet Bible study down by the river. The slave girl comes to faith through a, a dramatic power encounter. Lydia met Jesus as the promised Messiah, Mashiach. And the slave girl meets Jesus as the mighty deliverer. All of this, all of this is a powerful reminder to to me, to us, that the gospel of Jesus Christ can transform all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds who have all sorts of problems. Jesus Christ is our deliverer. Amen? And the power that brought the evil spirit out of this girl is the same power that that quietly transformed the life of this wealthy businesswoman. It's remarkable. And if the power of Jesus Christ can set someone free from a demonic spirit, he can easily handle your problems and your addictions and your grief and your disappointments. Just trust him. He can set you free from negative thinking. And he can set you free from gossip. And he can set you free from pornography. And he can set you free from greed. And he can set you free from bitterness and unbelief and resentment and anger. All in the name of Jesus. Do you believe that? Transformation of life comes by the name of Jesus. In the power of the name of Jesus. And there's no other way. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved and set free. And the name is the name of Jesus. Well, we have one more story in the book of Acts where Jesus transforms a common jailer. And this story begins in verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Well, the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their, seat, their feet in the stocks. You know, that, that verse became ever so real to me when 
Patty and I visited one of the plantations in the New Orleans area. I don't know how, how many of you have ever taken that plantation visit. It, it's, it's extraordinary. Uh, one of the plantations tells the story from the perspective of the slave. The others tell the story from the perspective of the plantation owner, and how big the house was and how much money they made and how they made, how they made uh, cane sugar and all that. But one of, those, one of those plantations tells the story from the perspective of the slave. You can actually go and see that the stalks, the iron stalks that they placed on the feet and the hands of these African slaves. I could not hold back the tears. It, it just was is remarkable to think of a, a country, any country, to think of a country that had enslaved hundreds of thousands. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, of, of people against their will. And put them to work as, as early as, as four or five years of age. But to see those stocks. And, and so here, here they are in prison, fastened by their feet and these stocks, iron stocks. Now most likely this, this guy, this Roman jailer, most likely he's a former soldier. We know that from extra biblical literature that it was pretty common in that day for former uh, soldiers to uh, to take on security jobs or work in prisons like this. In fact, today it, it's still it's common for military people or or former police officers to to work in the area of security in some way, shape, or form. So this man is probably sixty-five or seventy. He may be as young as sixty. He's getting close to retirement, no matter how you look at it. And like, like guys who are getting close to retirement, he's kind of counting the days. Just can't wait till, you know, his day, his number comes up. He's, he's, he's ready to go. Uh, he's counting the days until his military pension kicks in and he can just, uh, you know, take it easy and, and, and spend more time with the grandkids. He, he's a regular, common, everyday kind of guy. That's how I see him. Kind of guy who, who works hard. Five days straight, two weeks vacation. He works hard, he plays hard. Retired military, but he's also a proud member of local 567 of the International Brotherhood of Jail Workers. <laughs> and you know, it really kind of sounds a lot like the guys on my street. Ordinary guys. Lovable guys. Hard-working guys. The guys on my street. Maybe the guy's on your street too. Every day after work, this guy heads home from the prison, eats dinner, drinks a beer, and falls asleep watching the game. But not tonight. Oh, oh no, not, not, not tonight. No, sir. Let's keep reading. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas, he's on the midnight shift. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Do you get that? Don't let that slip by you. The, the gospel, they thought, we're going to put these guys in prison and be done with them. Oh, no. They just keep singing and sharing the gospel wherever they are, in prison. And the prisoners are listening to them. Just like the prisoners at the, at the urgent care clinic that Patty and I visited to get her arm patched up. We're telling them about Jesus and church planting and the whole bit. You know, What are they going to do? Say, well, we can't treat you. No, they were, they were prisoners to, to, to our, our sharing. <laughs> no, the prisoners are listening. 
listening to them. That's a little stretch in the text, but anyway. You get where I'm going with this, right? If you, if, are you following me? Are you with me? You follow my drift? Understand my thinking? Okay, good. Just making sure. And, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. If that didn't get their attention, the earthquake might. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Well, when the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, these imprisoned church planters. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Wow. <laughs> what a story. So the church gets established in Philippi out of a prison. You know, we started in the living room and then went to a golf course and then a warehouse and now here. But in Philippi, they started in prison. That was their first, uh, first assembly hall. <laughs> so the church gets planted through persecution and suffering and imprisonment and difficulty and beating with rods and all kind of stuff. You think we have it bad. The straightforward, uncomplicated, down-to-earth message of the gospel of Jesus Christ changes lives. The gospel changes everything. A wealthy businesswoman, a demon-possessed slave girl, a blue-collar guy who's ready to retire, all kinds of people from every walk of life, all of them are waiting to hear the good news. Brothers and sisters, there are people that you work with and go to school with and live down the street from who are waiting for somebody to come and tell them about Jesus. So let's tell them. Let's, let's share with them. Let's enter into the gospel conversations that need to be had. I think I've told you before, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's really easy to get into those gospel conversations. Standing in a supermarket one day, looking at the fruit section, one lady says to me, oh man, everything, everything is so expensive. Oh, I said, there's one thing that's absolutely free. She said, what's that? <laughs> well, thank you for asking. How much time you got? All kinds of people from all walks of life waiting to hear the good news. And you know something? There are no class distinctions at the foot of the cross. Mm-mm, no, sir. The guy who lives across the street, the woman who works down the hall, the dude who skates down your sidewalk on his skateboard... They all need Jesus. Some just, some just dress up their need a little better than others. They all need Jesus. Jesus doesn't care where you came from or how much money you got or who you've slept with or how many times. He wants your heart. He wants to open your heart so you can repent of your sins and trust in Him. Jesus is in the business of life transformation. And he's really, really good at it. Have you noticed? 
He's really good at life transformation. He's not fussy about your bank account or your wardrobe or your education. And so if you want to be a part of God's family, if you want to be part of God's kingdom, then you just need to respond to the message that's already tugging at your heart. So you say, how do you know if, how do you know if Jesus wants to save me? Because you're asking that question. Because you're asking that question. See, he's already at work. He's already starting to quicken your heart and quicken your spirit and draw you and give you a desire. That's God at work. That's not you thinking you need something new. That's, that's Jesus. So if you're sensing that prompting this morning, then transfer your trust from yourself and, and, and place it on Jesus. You can respond to the gospel today. Dear Heavenly Father, I need the same power that, that changed the life of, of the wealthy businesswoman and the demon-possessed slave girl and the common jailer. I need that same power at work in my life to change my life for your honor and glory. I'm going to repent of my sins today and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That can happen today. In fact, if you've been thinking about that, why not make that choice? Why not make that decision? Why not make that movement? Why not make that transfer today and trust in Jesus? Why not? There are people, rich and poor, black and white, young and old, skinny and not so skinny, all kinds of people who need Jesus. All kinds of people. And this is a perfect, this story is, is so perfect to tell us that the same message, the same message needs to be applied to every category of people in our society. The Lydia's, the, the successful, rich, wealthy people. The, the demon-possessed slave girl who's, who's right at the very bottom of society's totem pole. And all that, that vast section in between, those blue-collar, ordinary folks like you and me. All of us are transformed by the same message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So don't think that just because the guy down your street who looks like he's got everything, including a brand new Ferrari, that he doesn't have needs. He, 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 got, he, he got some deep needs, let me tell you. He got deep needs. And he needs Jesus. And only Jesus can save them by grace through faith in his name. That is the gospel. And my brothers and sisters, it changes everything. It changes everything. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done so that everyone might know your name. And in case anybody is wondering, Lord Jesus... We are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For it, it is, the gospel is the righteousness of God, and it's revealed to us. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So if you have put your faith in Jesus today, if you've made that transfer that I talked about. If you said, yeah, God is tugging at my heart this morning, then come and chat with me right at the end of the service. I'm going to be standing right over there by the door, hopefully with a cup of coffee in my hand. You come and just 
let's, let's chat for a minute. I'd love to hear about the, the beginning of the transformation in your life this morning. Thank you. God bless you.